0: So our first scripture lesson this morning is from the Old Testament, and I'm reading to you from the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, verses 4 to 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, am first, and will... will one helps the other, saying to one another, take courage. The artisan encourages the goldsmith, and the one who smooths with the hammer encourages the one who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldiering, it is good, and they fasten it with nails so that it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, My friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: The New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I invite you once again to listen for God's word to you. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they had seen the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me so i send you when he had said this he breathed on them and said receive the holy spirit if you forgive anyone their sins they are forgiven them if you retain the sins of any they are retained But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand on his side, I will not believe." But believe. Then Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever noticed what fear does to us? the sort of impact that fear has on us. Especially in moments when we feel vulnerable or lacking in power or control, fear causes us to withdraw into ourselves, however we can. It draws us inward. If we're afraid to speak up, we remain silent. If we're afraid of something out there, then we try to hide in here. And if we can, we lock ourselves away to further buffer ourselves from whatever it is that scares us. So it was for the disciples on Easter night. We find them fearfully huddled away behind the locked doors of the place where they had been staying. This house must have become a kind of sanctuary for them, somewhat removed from the chaos of the world that had just crucified their Lord. I suppose one can hardly blame them for wanting to hide away behind the security of closed doors. But despite their hiding, Jesus seems to know right where to find them. Surely Jesus knows that their trauma would have driven them indoors, inward and inside. Surely Jesus understood the way that fear motivates retreat, the way that fear prompts us to build walls and lock doors. Jesus comes among the fearful disciples suddenly. He appears among them, the text says. You see, locked doors are remarkably ineffective at blocking out the movements of our risen Lord. This is not the Jesus who stands at the door and knocks, quietly respecting the human decision to open the door to him when we decide that the time is right. Jesus doesn't seem too interested in waiting until the disciples are ready to open the door. No, Jesus takes the initiative, as he often does, and he lets himself in. Jesus knows the disciples will not find their peace apart from him. So why should he wait until the fear subsides for him to break into their lives again? No, fear makes us incapable of unlocking the door. Fear paralyzes us. So Jesus takes care of things, and he shows up when the disciples are fearful, when the disciples need him most. And in what way does Christ appear? With a word of condemnation for their fear and hiding? With a word of exhortation to get out and get on with life? With a word of, I told you so, to punctuate his resurrection? No. The resurrected Christ brings, first of all, a word of peace. Peace be with you, he says. And then he says it again, peace be with you. Sometimes we disciples need to hear things twice, don't we? Jesus brings first of all a word of peace. It's a word he's willing to repeat as need arises. The peace of Christ which passes all understanding is the first word that the risen Christ speaks to all those who sit in fear. Christ's word of peace prompts a deep breath. It slows the anxious heartbeat and focuses our attention on his perfect love, which casts out fear. Peace be with you, Jesus says, to all those who live in fear, to all those who seek salvation in separation, to all those huddled behind closed doors. Peace be with you." It seems to me that today's disciples of Jesus are still somewhat gripped by fear. The church in America is fearful. It seems to me fearful of religious decline, fearful of cultural change, fearful of shifting priorities among an ever busier public. In many churches, fear locks congregations into the security of their traditions and routines, which they think simply need to be duplicated the same way to succeed. In other churches, fear creates invisible walls of relentless inward focus as leaders brace for an unknown future. In still other churches, fear instills a thick fog of unspoken silence as the ever growing list of culture wars leaves people of faith with more things they think they cannot talk about for fear of further splintering and division and conflict. Now, in some ways, these fears are perfectly explicable and understandable. Church attendance is indeed declining in America, and with it, the resources churches depend on to live out their ministries. The vitriol that has poisoned our political discourse and divided our common life as a society, that vitriol doesn't always check itself at the doors to our churches. And the busyness of life today leaves congregations constantly scrambling to offer ministries at the perfect time for as many people as possible. And then of course, there are the issues of security today that tempt churches to lock up more of our doors and for longer and in more sophisticated ways. Our world again this week was rocked by more mass shootings. In Buffalo, an explicitly racist shooter opened fire on people for no reason other than that they happen to be black. Surely our nation's churches cannot be afraid to talk about the realities of racism in America when racist acts occur in our society with alarming frequency. What's more, churches themselves are sometimes the targets of mass shootings, as we saw in California when a gunman opened fire at Geneva Presbyterian Church, at a fellowship event. It's not always clear why churches are targeted, but security is a concern that all institutions in today's America must confront. Churches, sadly, are not exempt from the need for vigilance. And all this talk about fear makes me wonder, what sort of fears afflict us? here at Riverside. Having been among you now for nearly two years, it's my sense that we find ourselves at many crossroads of opportunity as a church. On the one hand, we are a church rooted in strong traditions and legacies. And on the other hand, we seem poised and ready to do something new. On the one hand, we're a place where the vast majority of people who come through our doors feel welcomed and embraced. And on the other hand, we're a church that still is far from reflecting the diversity of the neighborhood in which God has rooted us. On the one hand, we're a well-resourced church capable of doing what we set our minds out to do. On the other hand, the challenges in our world, which Christ calls us to address faithfully, those challenges feel awfully vast and complex. Each of these tensions and others like them could cause us to be paralyzed with fear. Or or we might consider these tensions to be opportunities to revive our common life together with new energy and focus. The question will be, how will we prioritize our ministries in the months and years ahead? Will we turn inward with a fearful posture of self-preservation? Or will we bravely move outward, willing to give ourselves away for our risen Lord? Now, with his word of peace, Jesus validates the fears of his disciples to a certain extent. His encounter with them is not a scolding reprimand or a kick in the pants. After all, a harsh response to fear does little to bring relief or courage. But while Jesus meets fear with compassion, he doesn't excuse fear or just leave it be. In fact, the opposite is true. In fact, Jesus commissions his disciples to face their fears head on. He says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be sent. It's to be sent. And to be sent by Jesus is to be sent in the same way that Jesus was sent by God." And John has revealed throughout his Gospel what it means that Jesus was sent by God. It means that he was sent into the world. In the prologue, John says, "...the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, full of grace and truth." And Jesus tells Nicodemus, "...God sent his only Son into the world, not to condemn the world." but so that the world might be saved through him. Jesus repeatedly describes himself throughout the gospel as the one whom God has sent into the world. And now at the end of the gospel of John, Jesus sends his disciples into the world in the very same way. To be locked away behind closed doors is the opposite of being sent into the world. And it's true that fear, which drives us inward, works against our commission as those who are sent outward. Fear prompts a withdrawal from the world, but the call of Christ sends us into the world. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't send his disciples ill-equipped for the past, t- he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The mission that the disciples are to pursue is always God's mission. It's not their mission. And if the mission is God's, then the provision of God's own Spirit equips the disciples for their work in the world. You see, today's text lays out for us beautifully the shape of Christ's mission for the church. The church is to be continually overcoming the fears that seek to lock us away from the world in order to move outward in mission into the world in the power of the Spirit. And all the while, Jesus speaks his peace to our fears and commissions us onward. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So let's return to the question before the house today. What sorts of fears afflict us at Riverside? What makes us hesitate, gives us pause, tempts us to despair? What draws us inward when we hear the word of the risen Christ pulling us outward? One of the anxieties that the session wrestles with often has to do with this tension between security and hospitality as it manifests itself in our particular context. On the one hand, of course, we don't want to fence ourselves off from our community, a move that would be the contemporary equivalent of hiding away behind locked doors. And on the other hand, we want all those who are on our campus always to be safe and secure, especially our children who attend school all week at RPDS. There's a tension in almost every decision, and the session wrestles with it, it seems like every month, from all sorts of angles. Another anxiety that I often hear expressed among our members is the fear that people won't return to church with the same regularity and commitment they once had before the pandemic. Will Sunday morning routines ever return in fullness, especially given how busy the world once again has become? Will our members, especially our younger members, step up and serve on committees and join Sunday school classes and participate in service ministries? Some volunteer recruiters even report feeling somewhat apologetic when they ask people to participate in the ministries of the church because they feel like they're stepping on the toes of people's busy lives. Something's wrong with that picture. Perhaps there's other... Anxieties and fears that we could identify, fears that nip at our heels as we stand at the threshold of our doors facing outward. At times that voice of doubt mutters in our ears a relentless summons to self-preservation as we hesitate to unlock those deadbolts. None of us has all the answers to the various anxieties I've named We'll just have to discern the way forward together in a community of faith which we are but what i do know is that even in the midst of our fears and our questions the risen christ comes among us and breathes the holy spirit upon us peace be with you he says as the father sent me so i send you So, rather than dwell endlessly on whatever our fears might be, let's consider the opportunities that lie before us as the Holy Spirit blows like a wind at our backs. Look at it this way. The extensive foot traffic around our church is not first of all a security concern, but rather an enormous opportunity for us to become an increasingly meaningful presence among those who work, live, and play in five points. So let's take whatever precautions we must take to keep our campus safe, but then let's get out into our community and get to know people. Let's take the risks involved in getting to know our neighbors and building relationships. People may be busy, yes, but we have many new ways to connect with people right at our fingertips that we've been honing for a couple years now. And in fact, because people are so busy, they have a longing within them to grow in their relationship with God and to build meaningful relationships with others that help them make sense of their otherwise busy lives. So let's try new things that just might connect with people in new ways, at new times, digitally or in new spaces. And it's true that lots of people in our world today are less interested in church by default than perhaps they once were. The non-religious will not come looking for us, but that doesn't mean that we can't go to them. When we're willing to do the work of building relationships with our neighbors, and it is work, whether or not they join our church, in the end the Holy Spirit has this amazing way of drawing people to Christ as the boundless grace of God bursts forth in so many unexpected ways. So friends, as Pentecost draws near, let's take an honest look at whatever it is we might fear. Christ knows our fears. He knows that fears are a legitimate challenge in any congregation. So he speaks his peace to us. But then he summons us and sends us on God's mission, equipped with the Holy Spirit who helps us set aside our fears as the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ unlocks doors, breaks down walls, and unites us one with another. So get out your keys. Let's unlock those doors. And let's be on our way. Hallelujah. And thanks be to God.